If you look in the book, so it's by Robert Clinton, the thing that he says is that deep change means surrendering control. And that's probably the biggest aspect of it because I've been a control freak since day one, I think. And uh, you know this clearer than I think. And you get into this process and that go this journey of going through, you know, the cancer diagnosis, the treatment, all of it, the class, that was the biggest thing I learned is I had to let go of control and having to learn to lean into others and that it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to take help and to really you're going to become a stronger leader when you realize what people can give to you and not just what you can control or make happen. And so I think that that's the transformation that I see is like letting go of control to let things happen and to really let it unfold. Surrendering control. I mean, there's still aspects of control, of course, that you have to have. But I think that's that whole thing of life's going to happen. And then how do you adapt? How do you, you know, how do you make the most of it to really transform? And, you know, it, it is one of those things someone, it sounds crazy to say, but having cancer was the best thing that could have happened to me. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook, the podcast where we welcome business leaders, CEOs, and industry experts to discuss the rise to the top, building wealth, and real estate insights. Here's your host, Jeremy Spann. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. For more information on this show, go to our website, myexperiencedrealtor.com. That's experience with an ED. If you're looking to buy and sell real estate anywhere on the planet, click that find a trusted professional. We'll get you hooked up anywhere, even if it's not here in Fort Worth. Make sure you got somebody that represents your interest. But more importantly, click on that podcast button. Scroll down to this episode and other episodes. Hit the read more to listen and download this episode to find more information on my friend, Kim, my hero, Kim Spears. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for coming. I have wanted to get you on the show since I started. So it only took me a year and a half now to <laughs> finally, and I pretty much, I think I put you on the spot Saturday night at Caltown Warrior Ball to be like, I've totally fronted you out. I was like, no, you're coming. You're like, hey, what are you doing Monday? Oh, I don't have any travel. I was like, cool, pick your slot. You're coming this time. (laughs) (laughs) You did. You finally got me in. So I started every one of these off with an annoying joke to make my father-in-law mad since uh, he said, uh, I got to do a a, a joke before every show. You ready for this one? How do you follow Will Smith in the snow? I have no idea. You follow his fresh prints. (laughs) There you go. <laughs> <laughs> now, none of these jokes are good. And being that you're a, a, a marketing professional, there's still nothing you could do that could yeah. help me out. I like that, that they're at least PG, though, Jeremy, unlike some of our others we've heard. <laughs> I have been known to tell some non-PC jokes. Oh, maybe once or twice. Maybe once or twice. <laughs> so for the audience, Kim and I know each other because we're not only TCU alumni with our undergrads, but we also did our MBAs together at TCU. And actually, when we did our MBAs at TCU, you and I were the only TCU alum That's in right. our class, right? Yeah, we were. Yeah, we were the only ones that really, truly bled purple through. Yes, double degreed. That's right. <laughs> and so we met each other back in 2013. Mm-hmm. And uh, we started, so it's cohort program, executive MBA. And I think you and I both agree that probably one of the most life-changing, pivotal moments in our life, which we'll dive through. And uh, and we were just talking about you yesterday. 
Oh, should I be nervous? <laughs> so uh, 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 we were at lunch with Chris and Amber Jamison, who are friends of ours that came to Cowtown Warrior Ball this last weekend. And we were they were asking me, you know, hey, what do you got going on this week? I said, well, I'm recording tomorrow. And, and Lauren asked, hey, did you, did you finally get Kim to come on? I said, yeah. I said, well, we're going to find out if she shows up or not. You know, she, <laughs> she might say, you know, like, hey, I had to jump a flight to Houston or something like that. But it was funny is – uh, during in-residence weekend, so when you do an executive MBA program like at TCU, they do an in-residence weekend. It's like, what was it, like four or five days or something like that? It was three. It may have felt like four or five. It may have felt like four <laughs> or five. They put us up in a hotel. Everybody gets to meet each other. And, and right. the thing is, is, for the most part, everybody in class is like mid-30s to mid-50s. I don't know. Clint might have been pretty close to 60. Um, <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> but, right? And, 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 you know, different – executives from different industries and it's cohort class every other weekend friday saturday so you're still busy everybody's in the same shoes everybody's got family they got careers they got responsibilities and you know hey i didn't have enough brain damage let me go ahead and do an mba in the middle of all this and uh and so uh laura was telling her friend she was like yeah you know when i met kim <laughs> and and you come up and said hi my name is kim spears and laura was like hi how do you spell your last name? And then oh, it yeah. turns out Kim's ex-husband and Laura's first birth boyfriend from <laughs> way, 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 way before Kim got married, that Laura was quickly to point out to our <laughs> friends yesterday, were one of the same. And, uh, and so it was just kind of funny how small this world really is. Exactly. So then we start the program. And one of the things that you do in the program is you get assigned to a team and you chain, you're on three different teams throughout the whole program. So first third of the program, one team, second half of the program, you're with another team. And then third part of the program, you're with their final team. And uh, I think we were talking about this on Saturday a little bit, which was really, really funny. And we'll dive into more of this is uh, at the end of your first team, they, they, they do these evaluations. Everybody evaluates you. Right, how you did on that was on your team, and I was really annoyed because these were great people that I was on my team with, but there was a lot of things they had put in the comments that they had never told me while we were going through it, and I was like, man, that would have been nice to know because I would have adjusted, and then so my second team, I was on Kim's team, Kim, Mike Larson, Juve Chavez, Matthew Smiler. Matthew's been on the show before. And so anyhow, uh, I open it up with like, hey, these are some things that were indicated. So if y'all see this, don't hold back. Don't hesitate. Just tell me. Now, which is really funny because I think a lot of people that know me know that I'm a very strong personality. I think a lot of times people are very (laughs) hesitant to say something because of, you know, they know my resume. They know what I've done in my life. And I'm just kind of a, you know, a six foot guy that, you know, just kind of very loud well, what I can say is Kim and this team of people did not hesitate <laughs> we did not. at all to point shit wrong. Hey, 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 ah, ah, no, 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 you need to do your part. So y'all did a great job of holding my feet to the fire, which therefore made me even better going forward. Yeah. And so, and, 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 and the thing was, is it was even more so impactful for me when it would come from you. Oh. And uh, because you are my hero, I told okay. you. I've told you that a million times. I told you. I told you. On, I told you that on Saturday, and and we'll dive more into exactly the challenges that Kim was faced with. But Kim not only graduated valedictorian, 
number one in our class, right? Yes. Uh, but did that while fighting cancer, being a single mom of two, running a marketing agency, full-time MBA. Like, I, I, I still, like, literally, if I was ever having a bad day, like, I didn't want to go do something, I was like, if Kim's showing up, I'm showing up. Because, holy cow, man, because, I mean... She's, she's, she's the, she's the, she's the, she's the hero here and I am not going to be outshined. And, uh, but I wouldn't be able to outshine you, but I was, I was going to be damned if I wouldn't show up if you were showing up. And I've always just had that incredible amount of respect for you, not just as a, as a person, as a human, but as a professional and as, and as a classmate. And it just, that, and, and, and I'm really excited about this episode today because I've always just had this incredible admiration. And you know, with my background, you know, I mean, I live in a house full of females. I grew up with a very strong mother, so I'm a very pro-woman guy. And so that's one of the things I've wanted on the show is to have good, strong, professional women to come on here to go, hey, yeah, you, you, you find a lot of adversity being a woman in the business place, but you could put baby in a corner. <laughs> it's just baby is the dude. <laughs> Make me tear up here, Jeremy. I'll tell you. <laughs> so let's let's go let's, let's go ahead and talk about like where where are you from? How did you how did how did you get to uh, TC? What what led up going to TC for your undergrad? Oh gosh, well I actually grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. The whole family still lives back there. Uh, so senior year, I think I was playing all over, you know, looking at uh, Mizzou, all sorts of schools, and so TC was recommended. Didn't know much about it. I was like, oh, it looks kind of cool. You know, back then they sent you the VHS tapes that look at. <laughs> so I got the VHS tape. You're not dating kind of yourself play. at all. Oh, I'm really dating myself. <laughs> so I look at, watch the VHS, I'm like, oh, it looks kind of cool. And so I apply. And they had a strong communications program. Wasn't, I was going to do more broadcast journalism back then. And uh, so I ended up applying and then ended up getting a full scholarship to TCU. And You were a Chancellor Scholar too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did not realize we yes. had that in common. How did that not? You probably told me, but I just didn't pay attention. It's okay. Yeah. So you go as a Chancellor Scholar. So I got a Chancellor Scholar, so the full scholarship. And then um, had kind of really d- was trying to decide between that and uh, Rockers College, a small college in Kansas City, Missouri. And so kind of got to that point where I was like, you know, I can always come back home. You know, Rockers three hours away. And I'm like, how often do you get to go try someplace completely new? So Came to TCU, sight unseen, except for the VHS tapes. So no, did not know a soul coming to TCU. Never came and did the campus tour or anything like that. Showed up first week of class for orientation and uh, ended up, you know, falling in love, staying here in Fort Worth. And so I graduated um, like three and a half years, got a job at a local ad agency. At the time, I started interning before I graduated and uh, they got me, offered me a full-time job. So I was there for 10 years. And then right after I had Caitlin, my first daughter, my first child, that three months later, the agency closed down. And then I went to work for another agency in Fort Worth called Witherspoon and was there for two and a half years. And then Philip was born, my son. And then after that, went to work for Balcom Agency, which is, I was there for 12 years. And then after Balcom, ended up leaving and going to work for one of our clients that had I'd worked with for five years, started working on when I was in the program. 
And so now I'm Director of Communications and Engagement at PCCA. So we actually help compounding pharmacies um, with providing education, products, and support. So really helping pharmacists make personalized medicine for patients who really have no other options really to find uh, wellness. So I get to do a lot with marketing, communications, crisis management, reputation management, and all of that. So you go to TCU to do broadcasting, right? Yeah. Something must have happened that caused you to shift a little bit. I realized I wasn't an on-camera person. (laughs) 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 Like, I'm better behind the scenes. So I kind of went from broadcast journalism to radio, TV, film, and then ended up in public relations, advertising public relations, and then focused on a concentration in marketing. So had the business side of it, but wasn't wasn't the true business major over in Neely until we got the MBA. So had more communications background and all of that. And then writing really kind of more behind the scenes, I would say, whereas broadcast journals want to put me more in front of the scenes. So, And, you, and, and what is it, the, the behind the scenes is more attractive to you than being in front of the camera? Oh, I would say, you know, it may be hard to believe now, but I've always been very introvert. Right now, I'm more of an ambivert, where I'll go from introvert to extrovert, you know, put me in the right situation. But I think that was, you know, kind of growing up, I was kind of more shy, you know, quiet, all of that. So that was more the introvert nature. But I also have a thing like to really kind of controlling the narrative. So from a, behind it, what's the story going to be shaping the strategy? How are we going to get there? What is the vision? And then really helping lead people to drive down, drive to that vision. So how do you bring all of it together? Like I don't need to be the one in the spotlight, but kind of help me make sure the story gets told. So let me see if I understand this right. So somebody has a story that they want to tell and you help them tell that story, what are, what are some of the things you do to help them tell that story? Like what, what kind of goes into something like that? I think it's really about, you know, a lot of what you're doing, it's defining the message. You know, what is the key thing to get across? And then how do you get that as concise and clear as possible from the story and and make it interesting, engaging, and relevant to people? Because it can't all be about, it's not about me, it's about you and what what value is that going to bring to you as a person? So really, how do you flip where you're used to talking about, it's about me, it's about the company, to what is it that's your need? And how is it that we can help be a guide? How can we help you get to that success? So it's really, you know, getting to clarity and getting to conciseness so that people can remember what it is you're going to say. And what what is it about being in that part of it that just really, like, just really trips your trigger, right? I mean, just really gets you excited. What 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 would you say when you dive into that just really just brings it out? Oh, I think a lot of it is just curiosity. I ask a lot of questions. Uh, you know, I kind of get to it, but why? You ask a Tell lot of questions. <laughs> I am known for asking a lot of questions. So part of what I just love is, lear- I mean, learning new things constantly. So whether it's going through the MBA, whether it's reading books, it's really challenging. And then the opportunity to just discover the stories that people have. So I get excited about learning new things and then really saying, how can we help share that story with other people? How can we make it interesting, engaging, exciting, so people can really see the value and bring it, you know, take advantage of everything it offers? So what what finally made you... Uh, I know, I know part of the story is because Balcom was doing stuff for the executive MBA program, but what made you, because they tried to get you to go do it a couple times, right? Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. What, but what finally got you to go, you know what, 
I'm going to pull the trigger on this and go do this. Yeah, it's a great question. So I started, um, as you said, so Balcom, uh, in my role, I had been working with the Executive MBA program for probably five years or so before. Kevin Davis, I know you've had on the show before, we joked that I was one of the longer recruits. So I had started marketing, really promoting the program and the benefits of it. And, you know, that was one of those times where, you know, when you look at how do you define what the program's about. And so we know that we've seen, like, um, you know, class on Friday, ROI on Monday. And those were kind of some of the things that really when you can get to what that clear payoff is and what what comes to light. So that I joke about getting to know the program, you learn all of the benefits that you have. And so, but I was slow to, I, I guess, drag my feet that I don't think I'd considered it as an option for me. Like when I first started working on marketing, I was married at the time, never even crossed my mind. Like, how could you fit this in? How could you make this happen? And so um, it was probably, it was right about 2012. I think it was the first time I really seriously thought about doing the program. And Kevin was like, all right, let's go ahead and get you signed up. Let's, let's do this. And so I went to all of the preview luncheons they have and was paired up. And um, I was really seriously at it. At that point, I was about two years. I'd been divorced probably about two years. And it was ready to do something for myself. And so it was, as I looked at it, it really needed a challenge, something to really engage me, get me going. And so that was what it kind of popped up as far as here's a chance to do it. The other thing that was happening on a at work is like I'd been working at Balcom probably for eight, nine years at the time, loved my job, what I was doing, moving more into management than day-to-day, you know, strategic planning and working with clients. But really realized I just needed, I needed a fresh perspective. I needed something to kind of, you know, get me excited, you know, something new to really engage. And so I had this thing happen personally, like, all right, am I going to do it? And then the last kind of final straw was I had one of my team members who reported me at Balcom. He was in his 20s, like younger. And he, we were doing his you know, annual review, and he's like, Kim, I'm going to sign up. I'm going to go and do the MBA program at TCU this year. I really want to get it done, the part-time MBA. And all of a sudden, I'm extremely competitive in nature, and I'm like, there's no way you're going to get your MBA before <laughs> I do. Like, this is my goal. I need to do it. And so that was kind of the kick in the butt that I finally needed. Like, this is more important to you than you think it is, and you're going to make it happen. So that was what I needed to finally say. This is something I've been wanting. I need to take it, do it for myself. And so that's when finally, you know, in 13, I signed up to do the program. When so, was it in 13? It was, I probably, it was still late. Like, Jamie, um, Jamie Timmons, Valetto. So yeah. she and I attended all the previous lunch, and she's like, I'm submitting my application this week. And so I don't think I put my application until June. And mm, uh, class yeah. started in August. And so I think I was admitted in June once I got it done and did the interviews and all that. But but Mike Fields, you know, another one of our yeah. classmates, he and I were went and sat in on the class together. Uh, and Jason Byrne, I think the three of us had sat in on Rob Rhodes' class. And so that was a big change. Um, that was that that's that's a hard class to sit in and not commit after that. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Rob Rhodes, rest in peace, incredible professor, inc- dynamic speaker. Yes. Like you there you, you cannot sit in not an easy class. Not at all. Not at all. And so like with I, I was actually supposed to be in the class before ours. Did I ever tell you that? Twenty twelve. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. No, did I tell you why I didn't why? end up going? Well, I was all set to sign up in twenty twelve. So that would have been Jeff Montgomery and yep. all those classes. All those guys, yep. So um Right, that was like in May. My mother-in-law, or she was a former mother-in-law at the time, was diagnosed with cancer. Mm. 
And um, they basically gave her six months to live. And I said, you know, she's super close to me even after the divorce and the kids and all that. And so, you know, I went to Kevin. I said, I I don't know what this is going to look like with her. I just have to be there to be there for her. And I can't commit to doing this, you know, right now. Yeah. Well, she that was 2012 and she passed away in 2020. So, Mm. you know, she went but she, you know. Obviously, that wasn't an issue. Like she had a long life after that diagnosis, but that was my that was a point where I was like, no, I can't do it. You know, I've got to deal with this. And then, of course, you know, then what happened to me personally? Who knows? Then in 2013, when you know I'm three months into the program, I get diagnosed with cancer myself. So, uh, you know, it's just interesting how life takes that turn. You know, and I think that's kind of one of those big things like that I would say is like just realizing don't put things off you never know what's coming around the corner good or bad so do it now you know yeah it's it's really kind of funny is um just how life leads us right so this was it was actually 2011 i'd gone to my first preview luncheon i had met jeff kramer Mm -hmm. and he's like i'm doing this and i was like man i'm doing it too but I was still working undercover human trafficking in Fort Worth PD. I was still with the PD. And I was in the middle of transitioning out of undercover work back to uh, a detective's role to take a, a promotional exam and all this stuff that was going on as we got into 2012. And I looked at Kevin Davis and I just said, man, I need to defer a year. I was already deposited. But I told Kevin, I was like, I need, I need to defer a year. And Kevin even told me, he said, some of the staff is like, that guy's not coming. And Kevin was like, no, that guy's coming. He's literally trying to come out of the undercover world, transition, get promoted. He's in the middle of getting married, whole nine yards. He's got a lot going on, but he'll be here for the next class. And it was really, really ate me up that I that I didn't start it then, right? You know, because I'm, well, you know me, I'm a high A person, right? But what I didn't know is it would actually be one of the most beneficial things that ever happened because I still believe to this day that we had one of the most incredible classes. Yes, are we a little bit biased? But even when you talk to the other professors and you talk to the other staff, they're like, there was something about y'all's class that was yeah. just different. I 100% agree. You know, yeah. it's like I, go, I I truly believe things happen for a reason. You don't yeah. know what they are at the time. And so I do think that that, you know, I was in the right place at the right time. Those, that was the class we were meant to be in. You know, I think of the connections that we made. And so... You know, if that that happened with my mother-in-law and happened with you, you know, I think yeah. there's there's always reasons for it. You know? It really is, and I, I remember in residence weekend, right? And uh, uh, so we're at the the hotel that's over there off of Rosedale and Forest Park. Was it the Hilton or something like that? Oh, there, yeah, the Garden Inn, Garden Inn Hilton. And you know, so then you know, on the final day, whatever day it was, Saturday or Sunday, I can't remember what it was, and we do the Myers Briggs. <laughs> right, I learned yes. about the different personalities. I'm making fun of Mike Field, as you, you alluded to, Mike, one of the most beautiful men you've ever met in your life. <laughs> right? And then, oh gosh, he's gonna hear this. And and he made the mistake of letting me sit next to him for the whole time we were in the program, and I did, and I I harassed him, still harass him to this day. Uh, but it was just really interesting. Is that in residence weekend? Everybody's just kind of looking around, sizing everybody up, right? Yeah. But you could even feel it then, right? Like, like, hey, wait a minute. There's, there's it's really interesting. And nobody, the only time I had met anybody was we did 
a happy hour a couple of like a week or two or three weeks before yeah, that where we all went down to I think it was Rodeo Goat or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so we met Regal, you know, Mike, Smiler, you, me, and I think there's a few other people that were there. And it was just uh it was just you know, there it was like uh man, I don't know. You know, it was just there was just like this feeling, but it was still everybody sizing each other up. Sure. And then we get the program started, and it was literally like drinking from a fire hose. Hundred percent. Yeah. Oh man. So like we started off. We, we let's see. We started off with uh, shorts accounting mm-hmm. and Suzanne's strategy, right? Yes. That's what we started off at, and yeah. and then um, and then it was just it was it was blowing and going, mm-hmm. and uh, so let's let's talk about that. So here it is. We're in the first, you know, part of the program. You're a single mom balancing uh, two kids. You're running a marketing agency. You're doing this full-time, or not full-time, but, but executive MBA. And you got, with no telling all the other millions of things you got going on in your life. And then you get some 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 pretty catastrophic news. Yeah, it was interesting. So, you know, it, it, even getting ready to get to that point, as a single mom, you know, there's so many different things. Like my kids were nine and 11 at the time, you know, so pretty young, um, but involved, but learn, you know, getting help lined up, getting a nanny to t- take care of them after school, all that stuff. But we, like you said, we'd finished the first class with Suzanne and Dan Short. And then the next class was transformational leadership. Do you remember with mm-hmm. Dr. Larry Peters. Peters? Yeah. And I can't remember what the other class was with it, but it just the transformational leadership made a huge impact on me. And so right about that time. Why, why so, is that? Before we jump into that, why, why did that make a huge impact for you, that transformational leadership? Well, I think well, it, it all ties together, but okay. it's kind of the same thing. So we did a lot of a lot of looking at organizational change and culture that shapes organizations. So that was really kind of topics that I fell in love with. I mean, as far as looking at the influencer model, how do you, if you go back to communications, what I love, that's, it's all about influence. So how do you direct it? How do you really shape it? So I was, of course, intrigued by, by that influencer model. But then we start looking at in the, the leadership is like, what drives strong leaders? And what is it that makes one leader stand out from another and really make an impact? And so really diving into exploring it. You know, there's just some of my favorite books, like Deep Change was one we looked at, and we looked at The Speed of Trust uh, with Covey, and just really the basis of relationships and how, how do you, not just leadership, but personal, and, you know, every connection that you have as you go through life. And so we were in the middle of transformational leadership, and as per usual, you know, you have your annual checkup, and so there's an annual um, mammogram that you have to get as part of it. So I, you know, went in. This was um, early October, kind of my usual time. And so I gone in. They call you back, and they're, you know, a week later, they're like, "We need you to come back in, you know, because we need to redo the mammogram, all that." And so I kept thinking, "Okay, it's nothing. There's no history of breast cancer in my family. You know, this is probably just a, you know, who knows what it was." But I really kind of had blown it off a little bit kind of so I went back and they're like well we need to do some do a uh, we actually need to remove two biopsies so um, we went in and at this at this point it was I think right around Halloween it was closer to Halloween so I had to have 
these unusual biopsies done. I won't <laughs> go into detail <laughs> on that. So over the Halloween weekend, we actually had to write a paper due for transformational leadership. And I don't know if you remember this, but it was what kind of leader do you want to be known as? Or what would your legacy be as mm-hmm. a leader? And so I had had these biopsies done. It was like Thursday, Friday writing this paper, I'm supposed to hear the results kind of coming back Monday. And at this point, I kept thinking, you know, I think this is just going to be a, you know, benign kind of thing. I got to get removed. I'm going to get some pain. But I'm kind of in this mindset as I start thinking about this paper to write, going, gosh, what if this, you know, what if this is something more that I don't know about? And so it was one of those really pivotal moments for me to sit there and think, what kind of leader do I want to be? What do I want my kids to take away? You know, what the people I work with? And um, so just going through that exercise of defining what's important to me as a leader and what do I want to be known for? Thinking about it with Tremont, like, I don't know what this uncertainty is going to be. What's this news going to be after the results from these biopsies? Is it going to be cancer or not? Um, not even expecting it that it would be, but it was still thinking about it. So it was going through that process of saying, here's what's important to me. And here, committing it to paper was really important to me. And I think, you know, you, you remember the book, Deep Change, that we looked at. And it, I think the premise of that was really that leaders have gone through some kind of deep change or significant change that has really driven them and shaped them to be a leader. And I remember reading that book, and I was like, oh, you know, I've been through my deep change. I've gone through a divorce. I'm not a single mom. I've got this. Not even having a clue what was coming next, you know, that would, would be my true deep change. So the... I had read the paper, I go into, wrote wrote the paper, turned it in, and was really shaped by one of our classmates, Hubert Chavez, that you said had shared when he was at West Point, the leadership model at West Point uh, really is be, know, and do. And just loved, and I know you're familiar with that, but loved Mm -hmm. really what that symbolized, but making that more, what does that mean to me? You know, and that really um, focusing on more about know, um, you know, know, be, and do. And so for me, it was more about knowing and being curious and lifelong learning, that kind of aspect as a, as a leader. And then you go into, you know, being the best person you can, you know, really doing what you can to set the right example, to have integrity, to lead, to be that, that person your kids look up to, and then do, you know, making a difference. How are you going to make a difference in the world? So. so you get this paper turned in, and then you get some news. Exactly. So two days later, I get the paper turned in, and I hadn't gotten the call from the from the center that had done the testing. So I finally called, and I said, listen, I'm waiting on results. It's been, you know, it's been four days. You haven't called. And uh, so you get the call. So they're like, oh, no one's called you? I said, no, I'd really like to know these results because the anxiety of just waiting, not knowing, is, is really what kills you. And um, so finally, someone comes on the phone, and they're like, have you talked to your doctor? I'm like, no, I have not. Can you tell me what the results are, please? So finally, the woman on the phone goes, are you sitting down? Yes, I'm sitting down. Are you at a place where you can talk? Yes, I'm sitting down. And, you know, then you get the word, well, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, but you have cancer. You know, and it, it's one of those things where you, it, it truly is like the stereotype where everything drops out. You don't hear anything and you, they just keep, the words keep echoing in your head as you hear I'm going, did I really did I really hear that? You mm-hmm. know, because again, it was really the farthest thing from my mind. Like, even though I thought about it, I'm like, oh, this is not going to happen. It's not going to be it. 
And, you know, it was just kind of a total shock and awe. You're like, did that, did that happen? Is that, did I hear it correctly? And at that point, I was sitting at my office, you know, sitting at my desk in the office. At Balcom, we had a complete open, mm-hmm. open office area. And I, I didn't even think about taking the call anywhere else because these are my friends. I knew they'd be there to support me. They knew what was going on. But I remember my coworker, Tony, was sitting across from me, and she said, you know, she could visibly see my face just drop, the color drain from my, you know, face as soon as the news came. You know, and so then it was kind of this, the next step of like, well, you can talk to a doctor. We'll set up an appointment in like two weeks and, you know, going through all this removal. And, you know, I said, well, I'm going to have to call you back. I need to process all of this. And so it was, you know, that instantaneous, like, get off the phone and then being grateful just to have friends there at work that, you know, obviously things changed right away. It was kind of crazy. So you get this. Was there, was there a sense of disbelief hearing the news? Oh, 100%. Yeah. You know, it, it felt no, surreal. they must have it wrong or something like that. Yeah, it felt surreal. And then even just when you look at the way that it was told, you know, that, you know, I'm having to call saying, what's the news? And then they're like, are you sitting down? Nobody's told you this yet. You know, just like, let's get to it, you know. So you think about it, it was, and I, I went back and, and talked to them later. I'm like, you've got to fix your approach on this. This is like <laughs> life-changing news and you're, this is how you're delivering the message. Because, of course, that's what I'm thinking about. How do you deliver the message? How do you tell the story? And uh, so it definitely was surreal. It's one of those things that you don't, you can't even comprehend everything it, you hear. And then, of course, you know, your mind jumps to what's that next step? Like, what what is this going to mean? And you don't, you don't know right off the bat. You say you have cancer. Well, what does that mean? Is it you know, like easy breezy, we're going to go get rid of it. Is it how progressive? You don't know any of that from the initial time. And then they want you to wait two weeks before you get in to see a doctor. Oh, like, that's got to be just. And I'm like, there's no way I'm waiting two weeks. So, you know, that's where you rally your troops. And I said, okay, I need a doctor referral for this. I need that. And, you know, really lining up people to help you get in. And so I think I got into an appointment the next week um, to see a, you know, breast surgeon, really find out what what are we looking at here uh, to get a plan of action going? And then so so what's – who all have you told around this time frame? Because I remember it being pretty quiet up until the news came out, right? But yeah. there, it, you didn't let it out right right away with everybody. No. I mean, I think uh, really because there was a lot just to figure out what to do and what was yeah. it going to mean. And, again, not knowing, not knowing the extent of it. You know, was it something – you know, small. I, I just didn't know. So that um, I probably got that news. That was the first week of November of uh, 2013. And then, um, you know, so it was finally got in to see the doctor. So it wasn't I went to go meet with the doctor um, that week in November. My parents came down. It may, it may have even been sooner that like it's all meddled up. But um, my parents came down from St. Louis, you know, as soon as I had gotten the news because I, you know, had to tell my kids, had to figure out what to tell them and all of it. So they um, they came down. I keep trying to remember. I had scheduled an appointment with the, the breast surgeon. So my parents came down to go to the appointment with me just so that to have another person to hear. So I remember that day I was waiting to go to the appointment. I actually met with Paulette Turner, who is my coach through mm-hmm. the MBA, executive MBA program. And we're 
we were working on trying to figure out what's your leadership plan, development plan, yeah. you know, as far as based on assessments and what are you working on. So she and I were meeting at lunch to go over areas to work, you know, here are the areas I'm working on as a leader. And again, I just gotten this news. I was waiting to go to the doctor and I hadn't planned to share it with her. And all of a sudden we're at, we're having lunch at Macaroni Grill, of course. And I, I said, and I think I'd probably just started tearing up because we're talking about working on, you know, how do you overcome conflict and how do you deal with conflict resolution was one of my topics and areas. And, you know, I think, sorry, I go, Paulette, I can't even focus on this. I said, here's my news. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to be able to stay in the program, let alone work on my conflict resolution, all of these aspects. Um, and, you know, it was just the graciousness that she had to say, this is about you. What can I do to be here for you? And even just in that moment, to stop and she's like, can we pray? And I just remember being so moved. She's like, I want to pray for you right now. And so we stopped talking about leadership and it was about me as a person and taking time right then and, you know, to say a prayer for whatever was coming and the journey and all that. And, uh, you know, those are the kinds of things. And you, you talk about the program that you can't put in. It's, it's not anything you're going to see on paper. It's that personal connection that people caring about you as an individual and being there for you in that time when you don't know where you're going and what's going to happen next. So yeah. So then, what 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 happens next? What happens next? Oh goodness. So um, go to the doctor. We basically did a treatment treatment course. So we ended up the week of Thanksgiving. So again, you're looking at like two weeks later. The good news was that it was caught early. So looking at the breast cancer, it was caught early. It was only on uh, in my left breast. It wasn't in the right breast. But the surgeon recommended to do a, a double mastectomy, a bilateral, and, you know, just to eliminate any chance of it coming back and, and reconstructive surgery after that. So really kind of agreed to it. My mom was a nurse. So she was like, you know, it was nice to have kind of that, that healthcare background and support. So we ended up scheduling the surgery for the week of Thanksgiving. So same time we're going through, we're in the middle of classes. So we had the class, I think, the week before Thanksgiving, if I remember correctly. Um, and <clears throat> so at the same time, you know, I got the news for it and I had to decide, am I going to be able to continue with the program? Like, I don't know what this means. And the doctors are like, you know, you're going to, we don't know what kind of course of treatment there will be after the surgery. You're going to have to meet with an oncologist, but it won't be, you know, till a month or so after you are done with recovery and all that. And um, the, you know, really kind of, they're like, it's your call. You know, there's, they can't tell you one way or the other. It's really kind of your decision. So I did go at that point knowing that the surgery was going to come because I would have to miss the surgery would be over Thanksgiving. And then we had one last weekend of classes left before the semester broke and I would miss the whole weekend of classes. So um, at that point, you know, we got, we got done with the doctor. My parents were there and we told my kids. And, you know, that's one of those hard things, really hard things to do. Probably the second hardest thing I've had to do is to tell the kids um, and so we were, you know, gather around my parents. They, first of all, they were surprised, They're like, why are Granny and Papa here, you know, in town? Because they came in for it. So, um, and I wanted to be very cautious with them, you know, and, and optimistic. And so told the kids and, and their dad was there and um, their grandma and, and then my parents. And, you know, really trying to make it as not as scary as possible, just saying, you know, we're going to have the surgery, we're going to do it. And I really never opened the door to what the possibilities could be. And I don't think I don't think personally I even let myself go to, you know, 
that basically it was always like, we're going to get this, we're going to fix it, and we're going to move on. You know, it was never a, what else could happen? And I, I never wanted the kids to think that. I didn't even want to let myself go there to what could the other possibility be as far as getting sick. So um, got all this surgery scheduled. Then at that point, I uh, went and talked with um, Suzanne Carter, the executive director of the MBA program, Linda Costi, and just said, here's where I'm at. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. And that's really when they jumped in and said, we're going to be here to support you, whatever you decide, you know, but if, you know, if you want to make this happen, we're going to make sure that you have the support to continue in the program uh, to make sure that, that it can happen. And so, you know, just kind of having that vote of confidence was a big thing. And then it was, I think that was after I talked to them, then I went and the first group that I had. So Mike Fields was in that and Brandon Mabry and, J.R. Holland and all of it. And so I remember sitting the the three of them down because we had a big presentation that last week of class that we had to make that obviously been pretty involved in and we all had to play our part. And I said, you guys, I'm, I have surgery coming. And really, you know, just when you could see the impact, I mean, they were shocked, of course, and just to really find out what was going on. And, you know, they jumped in and they're like, we're here for you, whatever we can do. And so I think it was probably, I think it was probably the weekend after. So it was probably like right, right the week when I was having surgery was probably when I started telling other people. I don't, you may remember better when, how it all came out. <laughs> I don't even know for sure how the rest of the class knew, but. Well, then we had a little end of semester miracle that we helped did. a little bit, right? We did, yes. Had a big freeze. Uh-huh. Shut the campus down. So we didn't even make our, our, our final class weekend of the semester got deferred to January. So instead of coming back in the middle of January, we came back a week early, right? Yeah, uh, the first week. Yeah, so we had like two back-to-back weekends, if I remember, to come to our presentations and finish out the semester. Do you yeah. think that did that play maybe a, a, a portion of the role in things to kind of buy in time a little bit or anything? I've never asked you that, so I'm just curious if that helped at all or... or no, you know, actually, before I even had the surgery, I decided I was going to continue with the program. Yeah. I um, had talked, you know, talked to my my parents a lot back and forth. And, you know, it was, like I said, I'm very competitive. And so I'm like, I I just didn't want to let it go. I've been working so hard. I wanted to be part of it. There was such a strong connection in our class, even to that point, that, you know, I said to Suzanne and Linda, like, I, I just can't sit back and let you guys go on and graduate and me not be part of it. You know, yeah. that was the hardest thing is like I just couldn't imagine not experiencing it and already starting with a whole different class. It just wouldn't have been the same. And that was that was really kind of my motivation. It was like, you know, I we've started together. I want to finish together and all of it. So um, then it did get us a little break, but we had, um, you know, it was it was funny. So we had that. I had surgery that week of Thanksgiving, and then the paper was the presentation got canceled because of the snow. Right, but the paper, paper still was do. still due. Yeah, paper still do. <clears throat> and so we had let our team. You'll laugh at this story, but they let our team kind of do the paper, and like you guys got it, you know, all that. So I'm at home, and I get that call from Mike Fields. He's like, "Hey Kim, I know you're, I know you're recovering, I know you're home, but do you think you could take a look at this paper?" <laughs> And I'm like, really, Mike? He's like, he goes, I, we, we could really just use your help. Do you think you could help yeah. look at this paper? And so um, 
you know, and I laugh because people might be going, oh, my God, how could Mike even ask you that? But it was actually one of the best things that could have happened because rather than sitting around feeling sorry for myself or like, oh. You were relevant. It was actually to be able to – the. It was the best possible distraction you could have asked for because I'm like, all right, I can't have to think about being in pain. I'm trying to get my mind engaged rather than thinking about my body recovery and all that. And yeah, obviously I was smart about it, but you know, he kind of brought me back in and said, okay, let's get this paper done. So we got the paper done. So I think then you did, you did have a break. So that was, was actually good. So I was able to recover from the surgery, had all that. And then I was ready to go back because it was the first week of the first week of January, I think we had that class got scheduled for. So yeah. I had um, gotten through Christmas and I had my first chemo treatment was that week of Jan- the week after Christmas, so that first week of January. I went on Monday for the chemo and I was I'm like, oh, I'm feeling great after the chemo. It's okay. I can make this work. Then you had to go back and the, the second day, they go back and they give you the shot. It's like a, it's basically to spur on growth of white blood cells. And so it's like this major shot, you go and have it. So two days after getting that shot, I could not get out of bed. And I, like, I had the worst pain. It was excruciating. I mean, it was just like, I couldn't even, I, I couldn't believe I couldn't even move. It was the worst, worst pain ever. And I just kept there thinking, going, how on earth am I going to do this? Like, how am I going to take care of my kids? How am I going to get to class and all of it? and make it through and even not having my parents here how am I gonna you know take care of my own kids um and at that point calling you know I was we were supposed to have class and I couldn't even get out of bed and you know just I ended up not going to that class weekend and you know the team did the presentation without me and ended up turning back going back to oncologists that you know we we determined that that reaction I had was a result of the shot, not so much of the chemo. Mm. The chemo still make you tired, but we decided not to do that shot after because it was, I guess that spurring on the white blood cells just totally took it out of me. But all that said, after that class, we came back. And so the next weekend is when we finally got into class. So that was one of those times where, you know, I was feeling better, got back to it. I was going back to work the next week, but I went into class that Thursday and Friday and go into class. And the thing I'm greeted for when I walk in the door is a sea of pink. And um, all the classmates were wearing pink, you know, just kind of showing their support, been there for you. And, um, you know, I can't tell you, it was it was just one of those things that was incredible, what it meant to me just to know that, Everybody had my back and was, you know, there for support. And that's where you talk. It was just it's so much more than just the education. It was the connection uh, with our class that we had. Yeah. Was, the class is just incredible. And the amount of growth that we saw with people through the class as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, uh, so now we go in. Now you and I get assigned to the team with Jubert and Matt and Mike, you know, so – now we're rolling into that, mm-hmm. right? And uh, all, all while the world is still going on, still doing chemo, still doing work, still doing kid stuff. Now we're starting another team, another new thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, getting ready for our international trip, right? And uh, and so when when you say deep change, what would you say are some of the 
major points of your deep change that you were like, I thought I went through deep change, but man, I really went through some deep change. What would you say are some of those points? Yeah, definitely. Well, I think if you look in the book, so it's by Robert Quinn, the thing that he says is that deep change means surrendering control. And that's probably the biggest aspect of it because I've been a control freak since day one, I think. And uh, you know this clearer than I think. And you get into this process and that go this journey of going through, you know, the cancer diagnosis, the treatment, all of it, the class, that was the biggest thing I learned is I had to let go of control and having to learn to lean into others and that it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to take help and to really you're going to become a stronger leader when you realize what people can give to you and not just what you can control or make happen. And so I think that that's the transformation that I see is like letting go of control um, to let things happen and to really let it unfold um, and surrendering control. I mean, there's still aspects of control, of course, that you have to have. But I think that's that whole thing of life's going to happen. And then how do you adapt? How do you, you know, how do you make the most of it to really transform? And, you know, it, it is one of those things someone, it sounds crazy to say, but having cancer was the best thing that could have happened to me. And you're like, how can you say that? It's crazy. But, you know, when you look at it from a standpoint, it was one of those rare opportunities in life to really see the impact that you've had on other people and how much people truly care about you. From a standpoint when you see people rallying around you or bringing you meals uh, to help feed you and your kids when you're sick with chemo or you have friends calling to check in on you saying, what do you need? And you know, are you and Laura, I remember you guys, you know, sending me flowers on my birthday, just sitting there thinking about you. It's a rare opportunity just to realize how connected you are and how you have influenced other people's lives and that, you know, there's just such a strong network around you. So that that's something I'll always be grateful for. It's just that opportunity to realize how lucky I am, you know, those people that I have around me. So, so folks like you and me and Andrew, who you met out there in the in the passing is recorded before you here is uh, we're abnormal people, Kim. Uh, normal people hold the status quo. Hold normal people don't want to disrupt. You know the being of the planet, the universe. They want to you know, do their 40 hours and, you know, have the weekends off and stuff like that. So abnormal people like us, I believe, gravitate to each other because normal people don't understand the statement you just said is cancer is the best thing that happened to me. And like you remember my experience after, you know, during the middle of the program, I got an offer, left everything that was safe and secure to go to this company, everything that I knew, right, Mm -hmm. uh, to go to that where just two years later, lost everything, right? I mean, just totally shit the bed on this one, right? And uh, and so when I have people ask me, man, I bet you if you could go back and change it, you'd change it. And I go, no, I wouldn't. And they're like, you don't regret that. And I said, the only thing about that that I wish I could change was the pain that it caused my family, right? To look at, to look at, to look at my family and go, hey, <laughs> I lost everything. We got to sell the house. Oh, yeah, we're holding a bag for $4 million. Oh, yeah, it's going to cost tens of thousands of dollars in, in, yeah. in lawyers. And people are like – and I think only abnormal folks like ourselves can understand what, no, that was the best thing that 
could have happened to me because it's what I call that rude awakening shift that really grounds you to go, I need to really take inventory of where I'm at and where I'm going and what 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 is this right mm-hmm. what's important to you yeah and then so. you dive in and you and, and it does it causes it causes a different perspective because i think normal people quit yeah they won't fight that hard right and uh and i'm okay with being abnormal of course i mean you were in class with me for two years you know <laughs> i'm about as abnormal as they come but i was able to also you know like you you know you're able to lean in to to the classmates right and I remember, you know, in August of 2016, just sitting there like, man, what am I? Oh, this is not good. I'll never forget sitting in my kitchen looking at a $300 electric bill. And it was probably 320 whatever, but it was around 300 I was like, how the hell am I going to pay that electric bill? And if I can't pay an electric bill, that's really the least of my problems. But I was able to reflect on what I had learned from all of y'all. And I was able to reflect on looking at your situation and going, this is not end all be all. This is, there's, you just got to take action, right? And you got to figure out how do you take that action? And that's when, like when you talk about control is this is probably the first time after the program that we had talked about surrendering control. Cause let's face it, Marines, PD, kind of control freaks, right? And uh, and, and 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 I I understood the concept, but I didn't comprehend the concept. And that was the forming stages for me to go. What ultimately now that even Kegel and I talked about on his recording is what I call the three arenas of control. First off, something happens. Someone or something happens, right? Do I have control of the situation? Yep. If I do, great. Take control of the situation, make whatever necessary adjustments. The second phase is, okay, I don't have control over it, but I have a workaround or some influence to help through the situation, right? And then the third one being there is no control, there is no influence, there is no workaround, there is no manipulation, there is nothing and it's what I call just disengage from that at that moment because you're a hamster on a hamster wheel, spend a lot of time and energy going nowhere real quick when you have no control, no influence, no anything else. And I would learn starting then, which is funny to think, it was five and a half years ago. I mean, it's kind of a long time ago, but not really a long time ago okay. to be able to go, okay, right? And then now even more so, still, still, still a student in the learning of it, right? But to be able to sit there and look at things and assess, okay, where am I at in the control sphere of this? Which of those categories am I in right now? Because if I'm in control of it, take control of it. If I have a workaround or some influence, do that. And if I don't, jump ship and go, right? right? And so it was really interesting is a lot of these lessons that we would talk, concepts we would talk about in class, it would take some real world experience before they made sense, right? 100%. Yeah. Well, and think about it, too. Like, we're, here we are now, the post-COVID. I mean, like, you talk about things getting completely thrown out of control, you know, with a how do you – this COVID comes on, shuts down the country, shut, you know, shuts down things as we know it. And so that whole 
being open to change, you know, and how can you be willing to take it in? I mean, and it shut a lot of people that we know down, just not knowing to know how to adapt and how to how to respond to it. And so it, it's interesting, like even if you learn these lessons in one area and then something else comes along, we had no way to foresee, we had no way to, to plan, but bringing these other lessons to bear, you know, that it comes back to it and you're like, oh, this is deep change for the entire country, for the entire, you know, entire population that we look at how to re-engage and how to, how to connect and how to go forward. Yeah. And then, uh, so there's another funny thing that was going on during all of this. This is just, and this just really speaks to your character and the character of others that are in our classes. In 2013, I, that's when I initially got Cowtown Warriors started before it was called Cowtown Warriors. We were doing our first event. And here it is. I'm 60 days out from the event happening. And it was just all falling apart, right? Because when it brings up, cause especially since we were, you know, eighth annual event was, you know, this last weekend. Yeah. And, uh, and it was falling apart. And I was sitting there going, what am I going to do? And the class jumped in and sponsored a bunch of tables. And the program... Sponsored program sponsored table since then, and classmates come still coming. You know, since you know our first event, which was January eighteenth of twenty fourteen. Mm-hmm. So not only all of that going on, you still jumped in and said, "Hey, what can I do for you? How can I support you in coming and doing this?" And it was just you see things like that, and you're right. You can't put that on paper for someone to understand what all that means. And then now, well, nine years later, because COVID canceled last year's, uh, to be at the event Saturday night, looking around and just going, God, you know this this wouldn't have, this wouldn't have been fully pulled off if it wasn't for my class in 2013's class jumping in and sponsoring some tables. And and I think about that every time we have an event. I think yeah. about that. I look around and go, Wow, we we've raised millions of dollars and helped hundreds of veterans. And it would have never got off the ground if it wasn't for my classmates. Classmates that already had maybe a few things going on, like fighting cancer, single mom, running a, you know, marketing firm and full-time MBA program. Like, hey, what? Yeah. Hey, thanks, Pam. Thanks for a lot for throwing another steak on the <laughs> grill here that had no room. <laughs> you knew how to get us involved, for sure. But no, I think that was – it was – a moment of pride, I think, on Saturday night, just to see you recognized at Catch on Wars for your mm-hmm. contributions. And, you know, one of those things I think that as a class, as an EMBA group, is that we take such pride in others' accomplishments. So it's your accomplishment and everything you did. But, you know, it's like a proud mom, you know, proud sister or whatever, sitting there watching you being recognized and knowing how hard, you know, you worked and how hard you shaped it. And, you know, and I think you you took the best skill of, looking at the assets of talent and, you know, all of that we had in the room and throughout our alum. And you have brought so many people to support causes or to, you know, whether it's supporting the EMBA program financially, giving, if it's catch on words, even if it's making those connections across companies or people you need to know. You've been such a great connector on that. And then, like I said, to be able to see how it's evolved to be there, because I, I had forgotten about it, but that, that first program was like the first time I'd worn my wig out in public mm-hmm. at that event and going to it and then uh, seeing all of the events over the years and where it's come. It's been fun to see. Well, so. I, 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 and I did not see that coming on Saturday either. 
that right. as well. I, you know, it's not often for Jeremy Spann to be in front of a microphone and be a little bit speechless. Like I literally, I had even practiced with Laura to keep that thing under five minutes because everybody says I talk too damn much when I get in front of a microphone, which is no surprise, right? <laughs> but I was like, I'm going to get it down to five minutes because we want to get people in and out. Let's do this. And it, man, it put me on tilt, right? Matter of fact, it was funny because all the board members were like, yeah, we had an over and under whether or not you'd cry. And I was like, no, I'm not going <laughs> to cry in front of people. I didn't do that. You know, Laura will tell you that. <laughs> but I was just like, and then the high A in me was like, oh, I'm, I'm not walking off this stage till I at least get another hundred grand. Right. <laughs> and then it was just kind of funny because I had asked Peterson, I said, I said, before then, I said, hey, do we have some big check writers in here that if I ask for 25 grand, they'll do it? And he's like, oh, yeah. And then I got up there and I was like, who wants to give 25 grand? Crickets. And I was like, <laughs> Well, this is not going. I not only lost my speech, forgot what I was going to say. I already know I've been on this damn microphone way too long and nothing's going according to plan. So it was, hey, time to improvise, time, time to get in there. And we did. We did. We ended up raising over 100 grand, you know, to be able to do that. And, and, and it was just, yeah. And it was just, yeah. So it was just kind of funny. That threw me off because, you know, as loud as I am, I don't take public recognition very well. I get weirded out by that stuff, yeah. right? It just it throws me off. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want it, right? And part of it is, it's a weird thing inside of me. Actually, it's two parts: blessing and curse. So the blessing of it, I would say, is there's a little bit of humbleness in it, and that I don't do things because I want it to be about me, right? I want it to be about others. I want it to be about things and people that I care about, and not me. I don't want the spotlight on me. I want it there. And then the ego part of me is like. Well, I know I'm going to pull it off, so I don't. I don't need any recognition. <laughs> so, so it's weird for me to get recognized on stuff. I, I don't I don't respond well to it, especially when I'm put on the spot, which they knew that. Yeah, and they wanted to put me on the spot. Well, let me let me ask you this. All right, and this is a selfish question. Okay, I got a selfish question. <laughs> so here we are, August of 2013, and you meet Jeremy Spann. What goes through your mind when you meet me? <laughs> And it's okay. Lay it out. I, 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 no, it's funny. I mean, I, I think you just, you have such an engaging personality. And, I mean, obviously it was clear from the very beginning you were one of the leaders of the class as far as rallying everyone and, you know, just getting people together and rounded up. And, you know, I don't think I've ever told you this, but I – I remember, you remember we were sitting in the, the first in residence and they're like, they start talking about the awards at the end of the class. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. And like, so when we get to the class, you'll have a chance to vote for, to vote for a team, you know, your classmate of the year and there'll be, a, the faculty will choose the same. And so, you know, so I sat there, I'm like, this is going to be Jeremy Spann's award. He is going to win this, you know, classmate of the year. There's no doubt in my mind, you know. And so, and as I as it kept going, I'm like, this is this is Jeremy. I mean, there's no you know question. So we get into the forum. I fill it out, and of course, you were my vote that I put on there. So, <laughs> but no, I think it was it was one of those things that that leadership was there. Now, of course, you were. I mean, you talk about me being a little bit more on the introvert side, and you're on the far extrovert side on the wall. But but that's also what I think draws so many people to you is that if you have a little bit of the introvert, you bring them out, you carry them along, you make those introductions, you. I get to do it. So, but I think it was the other thing I liked is that you're so you've, you're always so self-effacing. That from a standpoint that yes, you know you're loud, but you didn't mind making yourself 
you know, the butt of the joke if it had to be, if it kind of made that point. If we were in negotiations and Rita Kosnick is our professor and makes you put on the boxing gloves and get on your knees so that, you know, she can really point out how you as the former interrogator are now in negotiations and know nothing about negotiations. So I think that was, that was, you know, it was humorous, but I think it was also speaks to you to be able to say, I can take this to help people learn and see it. But I, and at the same time, I would say that as you looked at, you had one of the most visible transformations over the course of the class, too, because, again, you were out there and facing. And so I do think you came in kind of a little bit. I know this all. I've got this covered. It's going to be easy. We're going to do it. And then I think as it progressed, you're like, yeah, I've got a little bit more to learn. And, and I know that first evaluation was hard. And mm-hmm. when we sat down, we had our first team meeting. And the second one, you're like, you guys help me. Help me get there, you know, to it. And I think that's where we had that accountability that there was no there's no judgment of good, bad. It's just like this is something that you want to achieve. We're going to help you get there is that accountability to each other um, as a team. And then I think as a class, too, that we got there. But but it was funny. I mean, I think, you know, from the get go, you were just always fun, always engaging. But then when you looked at how far you would come to really be open to feedback, to bring it in, to really, you know, think about it. Now, did you talk a lot? Yes, we <laughs> talked a lot. <laughs> and we got over that. And we were, we were like cutting it, you know, we do our presentations. Do you remember I'd be going, eh, Jeremy, Jeremy, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, cut that down, cut yeah. that down. So, so let me ask you, so, so when you, you know, and, and, and this, this kind of segues into uh, a question I'm going to get to is, so here it is, you're dealing with me, right, kind of a big, personality, male, kind of knowing my, my, my history, my resume. And I'm like, Hey, I need y'all to jump in and say something. Was, was, was there any, ever any hesitation or anything else like that to be able to look at someone like me and be like, man, all right, well, if you want me to be outspoken, you know, was, was there ever any hesitation or anything else like that? Or was it, no, all right, you need some help. I'll lean in on this. I think, well, I mean, for you specifically, I don't think there was a hesitation because I think you were open to it, all of that. But I think, you know, as far as for me personally, that was an area of growth. So I mentioned like meeting with Paulette of conflict, you know, resolution or conflict management, that that was always a a hard thing for me to really address conflict straight Mm -hmm. on, you know, where that was even going into the program. And so... But even by you throwing that challenge out there, saying giving feedback to me, that was something that helped, that gave me a chance to work on it. Like, how can I be better at sharing feedback, sharing thoughts, um, addressing challenges or issues as they arose? And, um, you know, so even though it was for you, it also helps me work on kind of going back and, and how, how are we able to, to, get better at the feedback, get better at issues as they came up. And, you know, I mean, our group, we had a couple of times where we're like, this isn't working or, you know, hey, we got to get to it. You need to do the work. You need to, you know, do it. And I think, um, and, you know, we had the the challenge of, we had some tough, tough classes (laughs) we were tackling at the time between finance and um, finance specifically. It wasn't the one that stood out. Some of those the subjects were different for us being in marketing and other aspects. So, Well, I remember one of the uh, more impactful ones is that uh, I, I'd made it through life uh, by being able to manipulate people in situations. 
And y'all were not going to let me do that. And I remember as we were gearing up for our global studies, and I'm the only Spanish speaker in class, I'm not only arranging meetings for our team, but other teams and reaching out and so forth. And then I, I won't forget is you had come up and you said, hey, look, it's great. You speak Spanish, but this is, this is a serious meeting that we're going down to in Argentina. It was either Argentina or Chile. I can't remember which one it was. Uh, but there was there was one of them where it was like, hey, uh, they're they're gonna um, they're gonna they're gonna be coming in, and um, this is this this is serious stuff. Like, how how good is your Spanish? And the ego in me wanted to say, no, we're gonna be just fine, right? But then I had to go back and go, wait a minute. There's a lot of technical things in business and in the translation of that that I don't quite know yet because. I mean, I've gone from I've been working government work, right? I don't have a whole lot of business acumen. Well, outside of pizza place, at that point, uh, that we would talk a lot about in those classes. <laughs> we talk about uh, uh, but, but I was like, I really had to go. Wait a minute, I can't let these folks down because there's a lot of concepts I still don't understand about business yet. Where if I don't even understand them in our MBA program, how am I going to understand that and translating it in a different language? Yeah. And then so, and I was embarrassed too, because I was like, man, you know, I've kind of floated my flag on this is what I'm going to do, you know? And then, and then I was, I was really nervous, believe it or not, to mm-hmm. tell y'all, like, hey, um, we may just need to hire a translator. And that was getting right, right up right before we were going to go do that. And, and instead, the, re- the response was, thanks for being honest about that. And I was like, Oh, cool. I was like, whew. but I was super nervous yeah. because I'd always, uh, you know, I had overplayed my hand. I was trying to overplay my hand about what I could do to help people on the international trip. So I wouldn't have to do as much on some of the other stuff we were doing. And you were, you guys were great about going, hey, 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 that's great that this is going to be your little arena over here of strength, <laughs> but you still got to jump in and do this. We need your help on this. And it was really, it was, that was really good growth for me, right? To be able to go, okay, if you're going to ask for feedback, then you better take action on the feedback that you get. And so that helped me grow as a person through all that. So, but the reason I was alluding to asking that is, you know, being a woman in, in, in the business workplace, I mean, if you, I'm sure you have. I mean, so if it's a landmine, we don't have to step on this one. <laughs> but facing that of, well, you're, you're, you're a female, so you're having to swim upstream a little bit, per se, to fight some adversity that's already being put there on you without them realizing what your talents and capabilities are. Oh, sure. We yeah. could have a whole separate conversation about that. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, you know, looking at the international trip, you know, it was interesting going into into those meetings because, again, I was only female in our group. Yeah. And I believe, if I'm remembering, when, of all of the companies we met with um, related to the energy, they were all males that we met with, I think, if mm-hmm. I'm remembering in that group. Yep. And um, going into it, again, I had – I had a perception that, again, going into, you know, South America, it was going to be very male-dominated, you know, even more so, more machismo kind of aspect. And I had even written my paper on it. And surprisingly, when we got to South, South America and we understood there was so much female leadership as far as in the country leadership and all of it, and yet the companies that we went to were very male-dominated. And I think it was the second company when we were in – I want to say it was when we were in Santiago – that 
we were in the meeting and they would not, the people we met with would not even let me talk. You know, like I would ask a question, he would ignore it. And I'd go to ask another question. And I think at one point you stepped in and I said, well, I think what Kim is trying to say. And I think you even like paraphrases to finally get them to answer the question that I had. And so that was, that was kind of one of those, it was an interesting, almost dynamic to see because on one hand, South America was so progressive in female leadership as you're looking at it. And yet, we're here we are in the boots on the ground kind of meeting with a business and they're like, yeah, they're not even acknowledging, you know, whether it was I was American or a female, whatever it was, it wasn't happening. Yeah. No, 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 no. That is. Yeah. And it was. And I can remember because like there is, you know, because I'm, you know, just who I am and just in personality is I even would have to curb what I was going to taking actions and sometimes to, you know, like, no, Hey, she's a, she's a big girl. She knows how to, she knows how to take care of this. You know, she'll, she'll get it. So it, it helped me kind of take myself back to go, wait a minute. No, I, there was, I know which one you're talking about where I, I was finally just getting frustrated enough. Like, no, Hey, look, here, yeah. here, here's the deal chief. Like this is the leader of the group over here. You need to listen to what she's saying. Uh, okay. um, but it was really hard to really step back because I wanted to come in and save the day, but that wouldn't have benefited, right? Uh, right. By by always doing something like that, right? You know, so it's like like even uh, like Laura and I, you know, because Laura and I've been business partners now for you know five and a half years. Turns out, you know, when you lose everything, your wife looks at you and says, "Hey, we should go into business together." And I was just like, "Do you not hear anything I just said?" Like I just <laughs> totally lost everything. But it, going into business, and here's Laura, who I, you know, of course, not just by being my wife, but my best friend and my, my partner in business and everything else, who is an incredibly intelligent woman with over two decades of experience in the real estate industry and a law degree, and how sometimes we'd be sitting there in a conversation, and she's clearly the subject matter expert, and they're sitting there looking at me, and I'm like, mm-hmm. don't don't look at me. I don't, I don't know anything what's going on. You need to look at her. Yeah. And, and it was probably then that I really, really, truly working with Laura started to see, like, you know, there, there is at times. Yeah. Are there other businesses, companies that, yeah, are, are totally good and everything else? Yeah. But it, it certainly yeah. exists out there because I see it even to this day, you know, when, when Laura's like, here's what we need to do. And then when somebody looked at me and go, what do you think? Well, I think that whatever she just said, yeah. right. And, and it's yeah. present. It's out there. Right. And, yeah. um, you know, so that's that's one of the things that I, I definitely uh, really had a lot of admiration for you is when I said, "Hey, this is this is what I want to do to to adjust," and you're like, "Okay, well, let's do some adjusting," and yeah. there was no hesitation on calling me out on some stuff, yeah. and that helped me become a better professional, and it helped me because what I didn't realize was when we were going through the program, is it was preparing me and training me for what would happen two years later in August of 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, because instead of just falling down and not being able to do anything or go, what am I going to go do next? I was able to go, okay, here's what next steps are going to be. And then let's go do it. And now life is significantly different than it was five and a half years ago. Yeah. And actually significantly different than what it was 31 years ago when I joined the Marines. And, yeah. uh, and it's just funny how, being a part of that executive MBA program with so many folks in there that we just 
it, it, you know, not just, I mean, we're here talking with us. I mean, there were so many people in here that had different growth and, and just, it was just really amazing and special to watch. And, uh, and, and yes, this is a plug for TCU's executive MBA <laughs> program. Please go and we do both that. Serve, yes. But, Still uh, serve on the alumni board. So right. we, know, <laughs> we got that. But. Yeah. So we like to end cap all these by going, if you could go back to 20-year-old self and 20-year-old Kim would listen to one thing and one thing only from present-day Kim, what would you tell 20-year-old 20, 20 self? So much, but I, I think I would I would really kind of go back to life is short. It is so, It goes by so much faster than you will have any idea of. So that being said, do it now. Don't put off uh, what you can do right now. Um, take advantage of every opportunity you get. Say yes to it. Take the risk. Get the braces earlier. You know, <laughs> do things. Take the trip. Um, you know, go out on that date. Whatever it is. But I think it's um, going back and just you know, you don't know what's going to happen. So make the most of every moment you have um, right now. So, and you're almost. A full empty nester now, aren't you? I know. It's very scary. Isn't it crazy? <laughs> it's scary. Yes. I can tell you it's very nice, though. It is. <laughs> but but I, I will say this, that it is interesting looking at it. It is yet another time of transformation because for so long, you know, especially as a single mom, you define yourself as mom. And not that being a mother ever goes away, but you don't have to take care of anybody else. And, you know, it's... So it's it's almost this new stage of, okay, what do I want to do with my next, you know, next phase of life now that the kids are going to be out of the house and on. So um, you continue to transform. It's not, you know, can't sit and be the same. It is. like uh, Laura and I are right now in the process of downsizing our house here yet again because it was just like oh, the house we have. And even though it's not huge, 2,500 square feet, we're still about – a thousand square feet worth of what we need when it's just she and I now, right? And yeah. it is that there's that adjustment period that comes with that. Well, uh, so people want to learn more about you. Where do, they, where do they go to find more on you? Welcome to Connect on LinkedIn. You look for the uh, Kim Spears with that weird eye in it, uh, <laughs> last name. So um, happy to do that and send me a message to LinkedIn. And we can connect that way. And uh for those of y'all that are driving, you weren't listening to this and you needed that information, what you can do is always go to our website, myexperiencedrealtor.com. That's experience with an ED. And uh, click on podcasts and then learn more on Kim's episode here. Amazing, amazing journey and story. She is a superhero. So you will always <laughs> be a superhero to me. And, of course, if you're looking to buy and sell real estate anywhere on the planet, click that, click that uh, find a trusted professional uh, and then we'll find you somebody wherever you're looking. But, uh, hey, on this episode, really, I mean, you, you, pass this episode on to somebody that, that really needs to hear it because uh, you can take control of your life and make an incredible difference like Kim. Thank you for coming on the show, Kim. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Jeremy.